As the hard-fought battle over net metering comes to an end, at least for now, we bring you our second episode on the subject of rooftop solar, in which we look at net metering 2.0, net metering 3.0, and the phase-in of the new rules, as well as tax credits and system right-sizing. Enjoy! Welcome to Linksploration Bay Area. Climate change. We look at it up, down, and sideways. We follow the links between climate change and so many other issues, and all of it with a local twist. Welcome to Linksploration Bay Area. I'm Jean Rosenmeyer, your host for this episode. We continue our conversation with Pat Villano and Amit Roy of Your Energy Solutions with a discussion of net energy metering. Normally, residential solar panels are hooked into the general electric grid. Then you're paid for the electricity you feed into the grid, and you're charged for the electricity you use. Now, if your use and your generation matched up, it would all zero out, But usually that's not the case because you're using at different times than you're generating. So there are two questions the California Public Utility Commission, or CPUC, has been grappling with. The first is the time of day problem. Peak solar production occurs in the middle of the day, while peak usage is from 4 to 9 p.m. How to structure billing and compensation to properly reflect the value to the grid is a question they're working on. The other question is, who should pay to maintain the grid? Right now, it's included in charges per kilowatt hour. But as more and more people have rooftop solar, and thus they use less electricity, or at least they draw less electricity from the grid, this leaves more of the cost burdening the remaining customers, who are generally lower income than the solar crowd, and this doesn't seem fair. The CPUC has been working on revising net metering since August of 2020. They came up with eight so-called guiding principles for the new net metering rules. I won't burden you with the bureaucratic gobbledygook in these principles. The bottom line goals are to keep rooftop solar growing and to be fair to all users. Unfortunately, these are sometimes in conflict. In our discussion with Pat and Amit, which was recorded in mid-December, they referred to a proposed net metering plan. That plan has since been made final by the CPUC. It establishes a $10 to $15 monthly fee on solar folks for grid maintenance. It also reduces the compensation paid to electricity providers, as well as increasing the difference between midday and evening compensation rates. For generators only, you understand, not for users. And this will have the effect of further lowering the compensation paid to distributed solar providers. The net effect that you've probably heard about is a 75% reduction in the amount paid for people who are installing solar. With that, let's go to Pat and Amit. Okay, are we ready to move on to the fun topic, net metering 3.0? Tell us about net metering 2.0, and I understand it's going to be grandfathered until April? I mean, there's a four-month transition period where people have 
time to get in their installation, get it signed off, and then you're part of the NEM2 crowd, not NEM3. Amit? Okay, so one thing I wanted to mention first about net metering too, you're guaranteed your net metering for 20 years. So if you get a solar system before net metering takes place, you're going to be grandfathered for 20 years. And that 20 years is going to be tied to your property. So even if you sell your home, that net metering too is going to go to the new homeowner. Just note that the net metering is going to be tied to the property, not to the person. So if you move and you want to build solar at a new house, you cannot take that net metering agreement with you. Uh, now going into net metering three, there is a lot of conflict. So one of the arguments that PG&E has been saying is, and this goes back into how net metering works, is you send power to the grid and you take power back. But when you have net metering, your bill is going to be very low. So what PG&E is saying is that you're sending power to the grid, you're taking power from the grid, you're taxing the grid and using the grid, but you are not contributing to the upkeep of the grid. So that, that is what PG&E says. However, the solar industry says PG&E can reduce the amount of power it needs to produce and also reduce the amount of power needs to be produced, reduce the amount of power plants. So PG&E is saving that way and then reduce the amount of transmission lines uh, needed. So here's the difference between net metering 2.0 and 3.0. In net metering 2.0, the solar you upload to the grid is compensated at retail, that is, what customers pay for electricity at the time of day you are generating it, which for local installations has averaged out to about 30 cents a kilowatt hour. In net metering 3.0, the compensation for your uploaded solar power is based on a new calculation. Avoided cost is what they call it. That's strictly an accounting figure unrelated to what actual customers pay for the actual electricity they use. It purports to be the cost PG&E would have to pay to get the electricity from somewhere else. CPUC did a big study based on numbers supplied by the utilities to calculate avoided cost. I'm putting that in air quotes. As an accountant, I am deeply skeptical. It's way too easy to manipulate, depending on which costs they consider to be avoided costs and which they consider overhead that can't be avoided. And I'm especially skeptical because their calculation came out with only $0.08 cents a kilowatt hour, which is crazy low. Here's what my take is. See if you agree with me. My gut says that what you get paid for generating electricity should be somehow related to what you pay to use electricity. But net metering 3.0 severs that relationship. The other thing that struck me about CPUC's approach to net metering 3.0 is how little weight was given to climate change and California's clean energy goals. The renewable energy goals appear in the guiding principles, and then they pretty much disappear in the rearview mirror, which I find pretty disturbing. Both CPUC and Pat and Amit expect essentially the same reaction by potential solar customers that they will do their own avoided cost calculation and not upload any power to the grid. The question is, will they do this by just not installing solar or will they go out and buy batteries? But one thing we do see happening is if NEM3 happens and if PG&E guts the net metering program, 
I don't think solar is going to go away. That's when batteries are going to probably grow tremendously in California, because in order to get that cost savings, that ROI, you're going to now need a way to store that electricity for use in the evening and night rather than sending it to the grid. So batteries will become much more prominent as part of any solar design. And one thing going back into batteries, like which which I do think that under net metering three, batteries are going to be playing a much bigger role than they are right now. At least batteries do have the one side benefit that which you don't get with solar. So a lot of the, one common myth with solar is that if the power goes out, you still have power. That is actually not true because solar systems are grid tied. And there's a technical reason as to why they go down with the power. But one side benefit of getting batteries installed is not only are you storing your extra power, you'll also have power even when the grid is down. So if the power goes out, you might be the only person on your street with electricity. That's becoming more and more important. So under net metering (laughs) 3.0, the phase in is that each group, or they, I can't remember what they call them. It's a gradual phase in of net metering three. So every year the program gets a little bit less generous. So the sooner you, so after net metering three, it comes in, the people who come in in the first year will have a less generous program than, and then the people will come in in the second year after net metering three, their program gets worse and less in favor of solar. Mm-hmm. I am not too keen on this because it's at least for us as installers, it's going to be a customer service nightmare because Ugh, usually it's so confusing. When, yes, yes, because sure um, what's going to happen is there's going to be a hard date when the new rules come in, or sometimes they don't even give a hard date. They'll give it by a formula. Like if a certain number of installs happens, then they're going to move on immediately. But you don't know where you are. We, we might not know. How oh my God, like the electric happened. vehicle credit, where after X number of cars are sold, the credit phases down. But you don't know which, what, what your ranking is. And, and solar is construction. So sometimes you apply for a permit from the city and the person handling the permits is out sick. You know, COVID is still a thing. So that might delay the permitting by three to four weeks. And that can be enough to, for you to miss the first tier and force you into the second tier. And so this is going to be difficult because if you're expecting a certain amount of compensation from PG&E and then you get less, it's going to be tough because you're going to feel that you spent all this money and you're not getting the return that you were expecting. Okay. Oh, by the way, oh, while we're on it, yeah, PG&E, they're just, they're announcing an 18% increase in prices for electricity and gas in 2023. I meant to mention this before when we were talking about return on investment. As PG&E continues to increase its prices, obviously somebody's solar installation will pay itself off faster if you're no longer buying that very expensive power that PG&E is selling you. Wow, that is, uh, we should double underline that one. That is such a good point. Yeah. That is such a good point. Yes, we like to use the term future-proofing a lot in our business. But you know, get a larger system now, get yourself the battery, get it all done now. And uh, if they go changing anything, you should be safe. The question that occurs to me is, what about renters like me and other folks who simply can't do solar? Maybe there's shade or whatever. Are we just SOL? 
Well, I hope we'll be covering this at more depth in a future podcast. For the moment, I just want to point out that in Central Contra Costa, we have a community choice aggregation alternative, Marin Clean Energy, or MCE. MCE has three levels of renewable energy generation. It has 60% renewable, 100% renewable, and 100% locally produced solar. You may already be enrolled even though your bill comes from PG&E, but you might consider upgrading to one of the greener alternatives. We'll put a link to MCE in the show notes. In net metering 3.0, they want to limit the amount of panels you can put on your roof to generate 150% of current usage. Is that a is that a thing, and why would they even do that? I hadn't heard any exact numbers on the limitations. Certain count, like Alameda County, for instance, out in Modesto, the uh, Modesto Irrigation District, they're their own thing. They don't let you oversize your system past 100%. Hmm. No extra panels at all. So hmm. that brings up the question, well, what about a lot of people are getting an electric vehicle. Yeah, that's the why they're year. going to 150%. Yeah, even that's not going to cut it in a lot of cases. <clears throat> when I have to increase size for a quote because they're going to start charging an EV, yeah, mm-hmm. I want to know how many miles you plan on driving. You're going to do all the charging at home because typically. Yeah, I know gonna... my son who lives in LA drives 100 miles a day. Yeah, see, that could obviously a lot more charging than somebody who's doing like one tenth of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you know, it's important. To, so most of my quotes are upsize systems mostly for EV charging that's going to come at some point in the next year mm-hmm. or sometimes even longer. Or you know, Actually, I'm seeing a lot of people telling me they're going to switch from gas to electric, mainly for the heat pump. So oh, these are yeah. things that could, yeah, these are things that are going to call for an extra, you know, two to 4,000 kilowatt hours of power generated every year. So you know, these, are, you know, these are pretty big upsizes. I usually get more in like the 170, 180% range. Wow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you have to then justify that? I've done these applications where there's certain already certain net metering tiers that PG&E does allow us to write in if we're anticipating greater usage of electricity. And right now they're pretty easy going on improving them. Usually the condition they put in is in net metering, there's a concept called extra generation. So um, you earn your credits, but after a year, they have to compensate you for any extra power you you produce that you didn't use. And this compensation is very little. It's at wholesale rates. Um, so it's about two to three cents, nothing worth it. So don't don't build a bigger solar system thinking you're gonna get income because the compensation's at wholesale rates. But when you when you do a larger oversized system, what they say is that if you're producing more than you're using, we're not going to give you any compensation at all. So if you produce more than you're using, we'll take that electricity, but we're not going to give you anything for it. So what I'm anticipating is is that PG&E will still allow people to build a larger system in terms of future use. It's just that what what they'll make you sign is saying you're not going to get any compensation whatsoever for surplus generation. And it definitely is a good idea to get your solar system as, like, definitely get its size. And if you're planning to expand in the future, do it now because... Whenever you get an expansion done, there's always going to be that base cost because some things you have to do again. 
you have to get the design done. You have to get the permitting done. You have to have the city inspected. And also, especially now that we're transitioning into NEM 3, the grandfathering is only going to be if you uh, keep your system exactly the same as it is. Now, they might, we're not sure yet, but they might allow for some level of expansion, but it will probably be at most 10% of the system size you can expand by, which is very small. Otherwise, if you want to do a larger expansion, they're going to force you to move to the new net metering program. So it's a good idea right now to really think, what is your future use? And if there's a good chance that you're going to be using more electricity down the road, definitely get a larger system than otherwise would have been sized for you. Well, that's a good point. I guess we're at the end of my questions. You guys have anything else you'd like to add? Oh, I was just going to mention, we, we didn't, I meant to inject this in earlier. Yeah, you get that 30% tax credit applicable to both the PV system itself and the uh, batteries. It also applies to people who need, you know, re-roofing work done. Anything that's associated with your clean energy project is eligible. No, I so. just run through that with some clients. I'm a, I'm a tax accountant. So, yes, oh. indeed. Mm. And doesn't California have a rebate for batteries? Not for the s- electric panels, but the batteries. It's the... SGIP. SGIP. So SGIP, unfortunately, it is a heavily means-tested program. So that means you have to meet very specific circumstances in order to get funding. And the requirements always change. So... If you're going to get batteries, don't go into it expecting you're going to get S-SHIP money. And unfortunately, this is another case where there's a lot of misinformation going on because the program is so heavily means tested. Many installers who are not ethical will tell customers that they're going to get all this money or they're going to say that the state is going to pay for your battery system. There is a level of SGIP for that, but it requires very specific circumstances. For that level, you have to live in a tier two or tier three high fire danger zone. So areas like, for example, the East Bay Hills, the Santa Cruz Mountains, the Sierra Nevada, most likely are the areas that qualify. And then on top of that, you also have to show a medical need. So you have to be on PG&E's medical baseline plan. So you have to have a life-threatening condition that requires you to need electricity in order for you to essentially literally survive. So this is a very specific program. And unfortunately, even for that program, it has ran out of money. SGIP is very means tested. So for most customers at the moment, there is no state level funding, but there is the 30% federal tax credit. Mm -hmm. And like I mentioned earlier, it's a tax credit, not a deduction. So if you spend $20,000 on a solar system, your 30% tax credit on that will be $6,000. That doesn't lower your taxable income. What it literally does is lowers your tax liability by $6,000. Yeah, good point. Is that a typical and cost, $20,000? It really depends on what you're looking for. So Pat, what is the more typical range you've been seeing lately? The cost of the whole system, you know. Uh, cost of solar. Soup to nuts. What soup is it going to cost nuts. me? After the tax incentive? No, before. Before? A lot of mine are somewhere between twenty and 30000 Okay. So figure, you know, twenty five. Yeah, I just wanted to get a ballpark. Yeah. And the great thing about the federal tax credit program is suppose you don't have the tax liability. Suppose your tax liability is only... but you have a $6,000 tax credit. 
So that means for this year, you would have zero tax liability, but then you can carry over that other $2,000 for next year. Yeah, I think it carries forward for five years, if I'm recalling correctly. Exactly, which is a great benefit is being able to it is. being able to carry it over. So the federal program is where um, I am actually, and Pat is as well, we're thrilled that the federal government with the Inflation Reduction Act, Congress decided to re- resume the 30% tax credit. And with that, we come to the end of this episode of Linksploration Bay Area. Thank you so much to Pat and Amit for being with us and sharing their expertise. Tune in again in three weeks. Linksploration Bay Area is an independent podcast. Find, subscribe, and rate us wherever you get your podcasts. Our website is linksploration.com, where you can listen to our archives, and there's also show notes, photos, and links to our guests. If you have feedback or suggestions for future episodes, please email us at linksploration at gmail.com. And that's spelled L-I-N-K-S-P-L-O-R-A-T-I-O-N. Look for us on social media, also on Patreon. We are not in this to make money, but we do welcome donations to help with the cost of keeping the podcast on the air. We're Jean, Sharon, and Christy signing off until next time. Thanks for listening. <laughs>